Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you I've not met yet, um, Jay Harmon, um, one of the small group leaders here at, at New Life, um, and just uh, excited this morning. Uh, you know, it's one of those, Jules shared that testimony about George Mueller, and you know, one of the pieces that I found, I'm sitting here, I always, no matter how many times I've shared on a Sunday with a message or, you know, even before a small group convening or something like that, just always wondering if what you sort of prepared is really what God's looking to be able to share with the group of people that are getting together. And I wonder that every time. And so this morning when Greg got up here and started with, you know what, I want to start with something basic or foundational, right, and just sharing out of John 3, 16, a verse that, you know, even folks who don't have an awful lot of experience engaging with, with church, right, have, have heard that. And, and so this morning, for me, that's a really nice confirmation of what I feel like God's, you know, has for us today in, in terms of a, of a word. Um, for those of you who have been here or those of you who haven't been here, we're coming to the end, as Greg mentioned, um, through this, uh, this work, through uh, the story, right? This abridged version, um, arranged chronologically of the the Bible, and being able to walk through that um, as a body. It's been the focus of our conversations on Sunday mornings. It's been the focus of our conversations in small groups. And so, uh, again, I think there's, what, 31? I've lost track. My small group is like four or five weeks behind, right? People will tell you we're, we're a, a little on the slow side, but... Um, and so this week... Uh, this is a big chapter this week, right? Chapter 29, um, we've just, Nathan shared last week out of the beginning of Acts. Uh, and so this week uh, was a little bit daunting, to be honest with you. This is a little bit out of the normal way that I prefer to prepare for a conversation like this because it's looking at, uh, I think I counted 33 chapters in five different books of the Bible in the New Testament and really all different types, right? Letters of encouragement, letters of correction, letters of direction, right? Letters of, of really sort of doctrinal focus. It's a little bit all over the place, but all coming from this guy, Paul, uh, who was one of the apostles in the early church. And uh, one of the pieces that I love about Paul, and in, in the, the book of First Corinthians, Right, he's writing to that church, and he shares this, his, a little bit of his approach to ministry with them. And so if you're following along, if you've got a Bible, or if you're jotting notes to follow up on things later, in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 19, Paul says, Though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And if that was a little bit hard to follow, he says, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Right? And so it's Paul who's writing these, this letter of encouragement right, in, to the, Thess the church in Thessalonica, 
right? First and second Thessalonians. It's Paul who's writing the letter to Romans. It's Paul who's writing the letter to the Corinthians. It's Paul's missionary journeys that are the focus of the latter half of the book of Acts, where this week's chapter focuses on. And so you have this guy who, by his own admission, is saying, listen, I'm going to work with, I'm going to become like whoever I'm trying to minister to, right? That I might win, that I might convince or persuade them. And so I, I, that's really where I started this week, because I think I'm I operate a little bit like that, but not always from the same perspective as Paul, right? Like, I am different in different circumstances or or, or with different groups of people, but not always for the right reasons. Can you guys identify with that, right? Like, maybe Sunday morning looks slightly different than Monday morning when I'm at work, looks slightly different when I'm with family versus coworkers, looks slightly different when I'm with all of you, right? I mean, can any of you identify with that? I think we all sort of, right, do that. And to some degree, it's, it's certainly understandable, but I think one of the pieces that Paul is talking about here that's a little bit different, or maybe a lot different from how I function, again, I'm not... I don't think that's an ideal way of doing things. When you look throughout the, really all of the New Testament, but certainly the focus for this chapter 29, when you look across Acts and Romans and Corinthians and Thessalonians, and again, next week, it's going to be the same story when you look at the rest of the New Testament and Ephesians and Galatians and right, some of these other places, is that even though Paul is taking this approach where he's going to be all things to all men that he might win some, he's not changing at a core level, a really foundational level, who he is or what the message is that he's declaring to them. And again, that's true whether he's encouraging or correcting, right? Whether he's planting something brand new or tending to something long established, there are foundational pieces to what Paul talks about all throughout the New Testament. Right? And it, which makes sense because when Paul, again, earlier in that same letter in 1 Corinthians 3, is talking about this picture of, right, one plants and one waters, it, God grows things. And right after that, he uses this word picture, right? He says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, but by the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. And so today, that's really what I want to focus on, is the reality is a man who became all things to all men was a master builder, right? A master church builder, a builder up of the people of God, And even though it looked different in different circumstances, in different communities, in different conversations and circumstances, as a master builder, he never varied from the tools and the materials that he used in every single one of those places. There were these foundational points that he just never got away from, that he used to build everything. 
And so I want to come back to that a little bit, but I want to share the, the reason why this struck me so important this week getting ready was that the reality is that's not always been how the church has functioned, right? We, over time, have, right, we, we get away from things, right? And we come back to things, and, right? And so there was a long period of time in, in church history where some of the things that Paul talks about that we want to dive into a little bit today were not at the forefront, right? Literally hundreds, some folks would even argue thousand, you know, over a thousand years right, from the time Paul's writing these letters, where some of this was sort of set aside, or, I don't, you know, I don't want to say forgotten, but, but set aside, right, where these foundation stones, I was glad to see, you know, and Jen talking about, right, these, these stones, right, these foundational boulders, these doctrinal boulders of our faith. And so some of you have probably heard about this before, but really, when, I, when we look at the, the text today, I want to I land ultimately most heavily in Romans 3. How many of you have heard of the, the, something called the solas? Does that ring a bell? Sort of doctrinal statements, right, that came out of the Reformation, like literally 1500s, right? And so as the church was, you know, this is, I'm talking about guys like Martin Luther and, and some of those folks, and they, they started bringing back to the forefront for the church really five ideas. And this is not exhaustive theology. This is not like these are the only five points of you know, Christian doctrine that matter by any means. But these are five pretty big ones. And I think you see this all over the place in Paul's writings, all over the place in his letters. Right? And so I, I want to be really clear here. Paul is not getting what he has from these solas, these statements. Those statements are coming from what Paul has written throughout Scripture. Right? So I just want to make sure the order of operations on this is really clear right? for my engineering friends in the room in particular. And so those statements are these. Sola Scriptura, sola Christos, sola Fide, sola Gratia, and sole Deo Gloria. Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, glory to God alone. Those foundational pieces are all throughout the work of Paul when you read throughout the New Testament. Right, and so that first one about Scripture alone is the, is the belief, right, that because Scripture is God's inspired word, it's the only inerrant, sufficient, and final authority for our lives individually and as families. Right, and I mean families, church families. Right? Christ alone. Right? That it is Christ alone and nothing else that's the basis for those of us who are ungodly to be justified in God's eyes. 
It's only Christ. It's only Christ. Faith alone, which is that as believers, right, which we were talking about earlier, right, as children of God, that it's, we only access that redemption that Jesus provides. It can only be accomplished by faith. That there's no other way to lay hold of that. There's no earning of that. There's no winning of that. There's no, I've been at this long enough, so I have a participation award version of that. Right? It is faith alone that allows us to lay hold of redemption in Jesus. Right? Grace alone says that all of our salvation from beginning to end is by grace and grace alone. Right? That before we even could express faith, there was a way opened up by the grace of our Father. And that we continue to run this race, this relationship with him by grace, and we will finish by his grace alone. And then the last one, to the glory of God alone, which is if all of this is true, then there is only one person There is only one thing, one object that is worth being glorified, that is worth being praised and exalted, if all of that is true. And that is, in fact, Christ alone, right? If my salvation is only possible because of him, by faith, through his grace, there's no glory for me in that. There's literally nothing that I can do to accomplish salvation. And so what I want to submit to all of you today as we look into God's word is that those statements are pretty firmly anchored in what Paul talks about. Certainly to the Romans, but it's all over the place. So let's pray. Lord, as we spend time the rest of the morning in your word, I pray that you would, Father, by your Holy Spirit, that you would lead and and guide and speak. Father, that as a, a body here at New Life, that we would rightly divide your word, Lord, that we would understand and lay hold of, Lord, not just the words on the page, but your heart and your mind. Lord, that you'd use our time this morning in your word to draw us closer into relationship with you. Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, I'm not going to try to cover all of the waterfront of 33 different chapters and five different books this morning. I want to dive into, because I think the meat of this is in pretty easy to find in one particular place, in Romans 3. And so Paul, this is the Apostle Paul, again, talking to the Romans. And I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time, a few years back before we moved up here, um, Jules and I, uh, as part of a, a, our church, spent two years going through the book of Romans. Um, and I've not been back really in depth until getting ready for this conversation today. Um, man, this is so loaded. 
if you're sort of like wondering, like I feel you're in between things and you're wondering like, you know, where, where would be a good place for me to do a little bit of Bible study, right? Take, dive back into Romans, right? And so in, in Romans 3, Paul's making the case here, right? He's sort of mid-argument by the time you get into to this section of Scripture, right, about God's faithfulness and who can have access to God, right? Is this just for the Jews or do Gentiles have access, you know? What, is it, what does it take to, to access God, right? How, what does God respond to, right? Is it that I'm part of, right, the, the, the circumcision, right, that sign of, of Abraham? Or is God willing to entertain folks, right, to have relationship with folks outside of that particular covenant? And so Paul is sort of mid-argument here around this. And, and I want to back up just a, a little bit here, right, in, in Romans 3.9, He's coming to a, a conclusion on one part of his argument. And so he says, what should we conclude then? Are we any better? Right, he's talking about are the Jews any better than the Gentiles? In terms of this, you know, what it, what it, this, this opportunity for relationship with the Lord. And he says, not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And he goes in and he, he's talking here, right? He, he's quoting from the Old Testament as it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so he goes on here in verse 19, and he says, you know, we know that whatever the law says, it, it says it to those who are under the law, so that every mouth would be silenced and the whole world held accountable. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight, in God's sight, simply by observing the law. He says, instead, rather, we become conscious, we become aware, we're put on notice of our sin because of it. Right? And he's saying, listen, if you're, if you're working or believing that following the rules, following the law, is going to somehow make you righteous, you've sort of missed a key component here. He's saying the law really just points out the fact that we're all lawbreakers. And this would be a pretty terrible place to end an argument. Right? The, the fortunate part is Paul's got an awful lot more to say here. God's got an awful lot more to say through Paul on this matter. And so down in verse 21, and I want to just read this and then and go back through and, and try to break this apart a little bit. So this is 321 through the end of the chapter. And Paul says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets both testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through the faith in his blood. 
He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. If you want to talk about that concept that we sang about earlier, right, about being able to freely approach the throne of grace that, with confidence that's talked about in Hebrews, right, this passage explains how that is even remotely possible. Right? When we sing that, it makes me think of two stories. It makes me think of the story of Esther, right? Where she's debating going before the king, right? In, the, in those days, you could not go in front of the king unless he invited you. And if you did, the consequence of approaching the throne without an invitation from the king was that you would be put to death. But Hebrews tells us that we can approach the throne of God, the throne of the king of kings, with confidence, right? Esther did not approach the king with confidence. What is the difference? The difference is that God has held out his scepter to us in the form of Jesus and said, listen, come on. That's what Paul is talking about here, right? The things that we read about of being able to say confidently, I'm a child of God. The way that that is possible, the function that makes that possible is what Paul is talking about in Romans 3. And what he's making abundantly clear is that this was not about the law. This was not about a heritage, right? God's not setting that aside, Right? Paul talks about in other places about being branches who are grafted into something. Right? God did not set aside in establishing the church the work that he had been doing from the time in the garden of building a people for himself. None of that is set aside. None of that is done away with. None of that is abolished or goes away. We've been grafted into that, and Paul is talking about how that happens. And try not to run out of time here. Right. right? The issue here at the core of this was, a, was righteousness, a standard, right? A, the, literally what this is talking about is, right, for something to be righteous means that it, it has the same quality, it meets the same standard, has the same nature as God himself, right? Nothing is righteous unless it is at that level. That's what it means to be righteous, And the reality is that's the only thing that allows me to have relationship with him. 
And so what Paul's talking about here is that, that righteousness from God has appeared. Apart from the law, right? separate from the law, in addition to. Right? The law itself doesn't accomplish that, that there's something apart from that and apart from us that God's revealing. And what he's saying here is that the, both the law itself and all of the prophets, right, all the, New, all the Old Testament that we've been reading through over these last couple of months, right, the major prophets and the minor prophets, right, the ones who people listened to and the ones who they didn't, all of them were testifying to the reality of this righteousness that God was revealing. It's not a thing. Right? It's not an act. The righteousness that God was revealing apart from the law was a person. Paul's talking about Jesus, right? Clearly. He goes on, the next verse, right? This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus. That idea of faith is the, the idea of a, of a channel or a pathway, right? It comes through faith, right? Faith alone, in Christ alone. There's one way to access the righteousness that God's making available in the person of Jesus, to all who believe. And he's saying here there's no difference, right? Jews and Gentiles, there's no difference. Young and old, there is no difference. Weak and strong, there's no difference. Man, woman, there's no difference. Rich and poor, there is no difference. For every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've come up short of that standard. We do not have in and of ourselves a righteousness that puts us at the same level as God. Now the problem is that we like to think that we do. Or at least I do. And that if I don't, that there is something that I can do or stop doing in order to get there. If I could just stop, or if I could just, then, we, then God and I would be okay. I would be righteous. Guys, I'm here to tell you, this could not be more clear in what Paul is talking about, that if that is your belief today, right, by the grace of God, I'm praying that he will adjust that. Right? I need that adjusted in me. And my guess is in some parts of our, all of our lives, we need the reality of this adjusted. Your access to the righteousness of God has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. Your access to the righteousness of God in Jesus alone, by faith alone. 
And if you're trying to add to that or substitute for that, I would strongly encourage you, right? Let's have, a, let's have a conversation, but take that to the Lord, right? I think Paul is pretty clear here. We don't bring anything to the equation when it comes to righteousness. Right, verse 24, we're justified freely by his grace, right? You say, well, if I'm expressing faith, isn't that something that I've done? Right? And Paul talks in other letters and other places about right, what you don't realize is the gravity of your situation is that you are not just somebody living with sin or struggling with a sin nature. Your issue, Jason, is that the right view of yourself is that you are dead in sin. Dead people have a really hard time helping themselves. Yes? Right? I mean, Jesus raised some people from the dead, but he did that. They didn't do that. It's by grace, God's grace, Before the foundations of the world were laid, by the grace of God, he had made a provision for exactly what we're talking about. This righteousness that he's revealing was in place long before you ever thought about it or were aware of it or expressed faith for the very first time. And you know what? By the grace of God, Read, read the book of Galatians. We're, I'm not going to have time to get there today. I know it, right? Read in Galatians, Paul's warning to the church, to the people in, in, in the, the Galatians was, listen, you started something by faith and by the work of the Spirit, and now you're letting something else cut in. And what you started by faith, now you're trying to produce yourselves. What are you doing? Read the book. He's pleading with them. Right? You're setting aside the grace of God that started this journey for you because you think you can do this on your own. And Paul is pleading with them to stop walking down that road because of exactly what's in here. Right? It's by grace alone, through faith, in Christ alone. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Go back and read the, right in the Old Testament in, um, in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right? The, the picture of, a, of an atoning sacrifice to take away sin, right? Of, of having that blood poured out on the altar over and over and over and over and over again to atone for sins. Why? Because there's a wage that attaches to sin, and that wage is death. Right? And see, God has, as part of his nature, right, he's a just God. We rely on that over and over and over again, but the reality is a just God cannot look at sin and say, you know what? I can just write this off. I can just wave this. I can give you a 
a 15% off coupon like you're going to get an oil change and somehow diminish right, the payment that's due for that. That's not how this works. But what Paul is talking about here is in this righteousness who's being presented from God, he's functioning right, in his justice and also as the justifier. Right? He is the one who is maintaining the standard and creating a way for us to be at that standard. He's accomplishing both of those by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Why? Look at verse 27. Where is the boasting in that? Right? There's boasting in that, but it's not for me. Right? It's not in who I am or something I've done or can control. Right? My boasting in this dynamic can only be in Christ to the glory of God alone. If all of this is true, there is one object of glory that is even possible, and that object of glory is Jesus. And that's what Paul is talking about. Apart from that, right, what we're functioning in is a self-righteousness. And Paul is saying very clearly to them, listen, God has made a way a standard that he will not only accept, but loves because it comes from him and it is him. I want to wind down with this in verse 31. It says, do we then by this nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Not at all. Jesus talked about this with the disciples. Right in Matthew 5. So he's talking with the disciples. This is literally right after the Beatitudes. And this is what he says to them. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. Right? That word to abolish literally means to obliterate, to do away with. Right? To literally just blow it up and make it so it's not effective, not in force, not anything. Right? To, to, to make it as if it was never there. Jesus is saying, that's not what I'm doing. I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. And I tell you the truth that until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Nathan talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, right? This is part of when Jesus is on the cross in John 17 or John 19, where he talks about it is finished, right? It is perfectly perfect. It is brought to maturity and completion, fulfillment. Part of what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 is wrapped up in what he was talking about on the cross. It is finished. Not set aside, not destroyed, fulfilled. And he's saying anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the reality, guys. None of us meet even that standard, right? None of us are as righteous as the Pharisees were, or the Sadducees, or the teachers of the law, or the scribes. We have one righteousness that God has made freely available to us. His name is Jesus. We lay hold of that through faith, by the grace of God, so that he alone can be glorified in that work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, that reveals, Lord, your heart and your mind to us, that it reveals you as as both righteous and just, and also reveals to us Jesus, who provides us a righteousness, Lord, unto relationship with you. Father, as we leave today, that you would continue making us into a people of faith and grace. Father, folks who are laying hold of your righteousness, a people, Lord, whose boasting is in you, in you alone. Lord, how great you are. Lord, how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.